You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. To another amazing episode of the best practices show my name is kirk barrett and like uh if you've been following us for a while you you know this guy he's one of my heroes of all time i freaking love him so much and i was complaining before we hit the record button that he doesn't call me he doesn't hang out as much anymore and then i ask him what he's doing and he's like well i'm gonna go to france i'm gonna do some other things like that and like i'm looking at my text and he did not invite me so um i have the great Dr. Bill Robbins on today, and we're going to be talking about an important subject in dentistry is why don't dentists do really comprehensive dentistry or what are the obstacles? So thanks for being on, Bill. Oh, it's my pleasure, Kirk. It's good to see your beautiful face. It's true. We don't hang out as much as we used to. That's a problem. We need to make sure that we correct that. We need to fix that like pronto, amigo. Like you, I like when you use amigo a lot. So yeah. So uh and uh, for those of you guys that haven't listened or, uh, you know, Bill's always been a great friend, a great mentor, um, always been th- there for me personally in the good times, the tough times, great times. And uh, in one of the toughest times of all, which was the pandemic, it was just good to connect in the morning and have some fellowship and do what we only knew best, which was just talk about good things. And so if you're if you guys have never heard Dr. Bill Robbins, I really encourage you to to do so. So, Bill, just give us a little bio. I like everybody to, I want our listeners to know who they're listening to today. So tell us who Bill Robbins is. All right. So um, again, thanks for the opportunity to be with you. This is always fun. I love doing this and, and, and being with you. So thanks so much for the invitation. So I've been at it almost 50 years. Next year, we'll be 50. And the first 25 years of my career, primarily academics. I did three years of general practice residency in the VA. I then directed three different programs after that, um, a, a GPR in the VA, a um, two-year AGD program. I was co-director in the Air Force and then an AGD program at the dental school in San Antonio. And so I, I was an academic guy, full-time academic guy for 25 years. And after I'd done that, I decided that I'd done that and I, I was ready for something else. And so I bagged my academic career about 25 years ago and went to full-time private practice. And that's where I've been for the last 25 years. However, I've always had an academic bent and I enjoy writing. Um, and in fact, that's something I've moved back to quite a bit now. I sold my practice a couple of years ago to a, a talented young prosthodontist. And I'm now working for her. And so I have more time than I used to have because I don't have to manage anything anymore. So I've started writing articles again, things that I want. To, um, if I give a lecture and I have to spend a lot of time explaining something, then I decided I'm going to write an article. So so I'm doing more writing today, and um, and my wife and I are doing a lot more traveling, and I'm still working in the office three days a week when I'm in town. So I've had a wonderful career, half in academics, half in private practice. But even though I've been in private practice, I've still gotten to teach. I get the opportunity to lecture quite a bit to study clubs, a lot of CL study clubs, and, um, and I still teach at the dental school part-time. So uh, it's been a wonderful mix. I'm very blessed in the trajectory of my career. Yeah, well, I've, I feel blessed to call you my friend, and I know you're, you're a smart guy, but you make the world a better place at all times, so I'm just super grateful. So take us into the whole, you know, 
almost 50 years of doing this. Let's talk about the why first. Like you, you get to meet dentists everywhere. Like how important is this subject? And like, what's the why behind what we're going to be talking about? Well, I think it's important to say that I'm going to talk about my view of the world and, and I'm going to give you my truth, but that's truth of small T, not a capital T. And when I'm talking to the residents about these things, I tell them, <clears throat> I'm telling you about my practice and the, there's, it's unique to me and my personality. And I have no assumption that anybody else wants to practice like I do, but this is the only thing I'm an expert in is my practice. I'm not an expert in anybody else's. <clears throat> and so since I started out in academics so many years ago, it was pretty easy to do comprehensive dentistry because that's what we taught and that's what we did. So I always treat treatment plan today. And I had a view of dentistry that was shaped by 25 years of academics. And so when I went into private practice, it was a fairly straightforward decision for me. I did. I had a few patients in a faculty practice, but I essentially started my practice from scratch. I went in with Jeff Rouse and Jeff had his practice and, and I had to create mine. But I went in with some premises. One premise was I, I was going to be a fee for service dentist. So that was my first premise. Um, the second premise was, is that I was going to bring all new patients in with a comprehensive exam. And my wife, Brenda, is a hygienist, as you know, and she thought that was just the stupidest thing ever. And she's probably right because, you know, half the patients that come in don't have comprehensive needs. They don't have a need for sophisticated dentistry. But I made the decision, and I've continued to do it for these 25 years, that all new patients were coming in the comprehensive exam. And I have a practice such that I don't see a lot of new patients in a month. I mean, even at my in my heyday, I wouldn't see generally more than a dozen new patients a month. So I had time to do a comprehensive exam on every new patient. And I understand that's not the nature of everybody's practice. <clears throat> but those were the two things that I started with and have stuck with throughout the years. And we'll talk as we get into this, um, you know, how to treatment plan and all of that. But my why is, is because it's what patients deserve. Um, I, I just believe that when a patient, a new patient comes to me, <clears throat> They're coming to me for two things. They're coming for my expertise and they're coming for a treatment plan. And I'm going to give them both of those things. And sometimes they don't need anything but two sealants and, a ble and bleaching. And I will have spent a fair amount of time doing a comprehensive treatment or a comprehensive exam on them. But, but there's value in that because they then become, obviously the goal is, is that they become raving fans and they say, well, nobody's ever taken a look at me like that. And then they bring their husband and their children and their friends. And so I consider a comprehensive exam not only to be the right thing to do, but to be a wonderful marketing tool. Yeah, I've never spent any money on marketing. That's just not been my way. I mean, we got a website, so that's not true. We, we do spend money on a website. But other than that, my marketing has always been through word of mouth, essentially. And so... I see the comprehensive exam as both um, what patient deserves and as a way to get more patients to come in. Yeah. So that's sort of the why of the whole thing. <clears throat> yeah. And can we talk, I want to talk about just the opposite side, because you, you've laid out a great outline for what we're going to discuss, but we've talked about this before, like not doing this, you know, there's a downside to disinflary dentistry, you know, I can't talk at the end of the day, you know, yeah. that you got to do it. And sometimes, you know, you see both sides of it. So what's the downside of, uh, and, and you understand both sides, you know, like, um, why wouldn't somebody do this or why would they do something else? Well, I mean, the downside is that if your skill set is primarily single tooth dentistry, then why do you want to treatment plan a bunch of complex dentistry when you don't even have the desire of the skill set to do it? So that's part of it. Um, you know, a large percentage of dentists do single tooth dentistry. I do too. I'm a general dentist. And what I've done through the years is about 70% single tooth dentistry and about 30% complicated interdisciplinary dentistry. So I don't do fancy cases every day. I do a lot of single tooth dentistry just like everybody else is listening to this. However, I do have it on the shelf. And when the patient needs the interdisciplinary dentistry, I can provide it for them. And the second part is, is that I get no spiritual reward from single tooth dentistry anymore. Certainly, it's a way to make a living. There's no doubt about it. But after all these years, 
it doesn't bring me pleasure anymore to fix single T. Um, there's no challenge to that anymore for me. So the real pleasure in my life comes from, hold on a minute. <laughs> Hush. Now, I was going to ask you if that was lucky, the one missing an eye and a yeah, leg. <laughs> actually, that one's already gone to dog heaven. This oh, is, no. This is another one. Yeah, this is Lulu. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so so the, the issue is, is that it brings me pleasure. Yeah. to do those types of cases. And I will, I do know one thing for sure. I don't know a lot for sure, but I know one thing. And that is if a dentist doesn't do a comprehensive exam, then the dentist cannot do comprehensive dentistry. It's not possible to bring a patient in through hygiene and do a five minute hygiene exam. And then the next appointment you're talking about doing straight veneers or rehab or whatever it means to you. So I don't think that it has to be my way. <clears throat> Clearly, a person in the front office can screen patients by phone and determine what their needs are and make a determination. Either I'm going to bring this patient in as a hygiene patient and do a, a quick exam on them, bring them into the practice like that. And if they have greater needs, then reappoint them for the comp exam. I think that's totally legitimate. It's just not my way because we don't really know what kind of profi or cleaning a patient needs. And that's one of, that's one of the scripts that we have. Yeah. Dr. Robbins prefers to see you first before you get your teeth cleaned because there's many types of dental cleanings and we don't really know which kind you need until we have an opportunity to see you. Most patients are fine with that. Occasionally a patient will say, you know, I'm going to a wedding next weekend and I really want to get my teeth cleaned. Well, we're not stupid. I mean, we're not going to say no to a patient. We're going to bring them in and clean their teeth. But we find that most patients are fine when it's explained to them that, you know, our way of doing it is to bring them in to make sure it's a good fit in our office for them. And so Dr. Robbins can meet you and determine what your, you know, your goals and desires are. So that's the reason through the years I've done the copy exam. The downside is, is that I waste some time. If, if you consider time that could have been doing single tooth dentistry, I'm wasting it talking to a patient who just needs single tooth dentistry that I get that. And so I think there's certainly variations on the theme. It doesn't have to be every patient, you know, every patient gets a comprehensive exam, but every patient's going to get comprehensive dentistry has to have a comprehensive exam. I do know that for sure. Yeah. And so I'm just telling you guys, as you're listening, this is, this is my guy. Like you got to listen carefully to what Dr. Robin says. Now I'm leading you with this question, almost 50 years of practice. If I'm a young dentist, listen, I'm like, Dr. Robin, you understand like, this is hard. Is it, have you ever seen a better time to be a dentist right now? No, I, I, I'm a glasses half full kind of guy. So even if, if it all sucked right now, I'd still probably say, oh, I think, you know, I think it's still really good, but I, I do believe it's really good. I mean, as you know, and others may not, my son is a third year dental student now. And so I'm getting to go through dental school with him again, because he's going to school here in San Antonio where we live. So he's living at home with us. He's not married. So Every night at dinner, we sit down and talk about his education. And there is no doubt about it. There has never been a better time to do dentistry than now. So that old idea, you know, the golden age of dentistry is gone. That's nonsense. That is total nonsense. It's the most exciting time to be doing dentistry, but not single tooth dentistry all the time. Yeah, that, That's no different than it was 50 years ago. Different materials, but the same idea. You just do the same thing over and over and over again, the way you learn to do it in dental school. So for me, there has to be a mix to keep it exciting. And it still I, is exciting for me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So take us through this. Walk us through the framework. You know, you said vision. Once it's clear, it's got to be shared. You got to have an idea where you want to go and you got to be able to see it. Talk us, talk us through that. I think the hardest part, this whole thing, the absolute hardest part of moving your practice into doing comprehensive dentistry and comprehensive exams is getting a vision of doing it. Because once you get a vision, then you have something that's out there and you've got, all you have to do is figure out the steps to get there. But it's the belief that that's where you want to be. <clears throat> the problem is, is that once you get it, you meaning the dentist, you have to share it with those around you. Because if your family at the office isn't on board, then it ain't going to work out. And if your family at home, in my case, my wife, my spouse, 
isn't on board. I mean, she pays attention to production. She pays attention to what's going on in the office and she understands the dental practice. And if I make a major change in my view of how to practice dentistry, I better share that vision with her and hopefully get her to understand the, the reason that that's the vision. So the question would be, where do you get the vision? And I mean, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, I'm going to say throughout this, this podcast today that study clubs are incredibly important. So if I only, if I was talking to a young dentist that only had $2,000 in their continuing education budget for a year, and I think you can have less than that. Don't even bother to have a continuing education budget if it's less than two grand. You should be able to join a really fine local study club in your community for two grand. And what that's going to do, that's going to put you in the presence of other dentists that already have a vision of what excellence is. And if you're a younger dentist, they love, older dentists love being around younger dentists that really want to learn, that really want to grow. So the opportunity to get a mentor, both in vision, but also technically a mentor, um, I think the very best place to get it is in a study club. Yeah. So that's my number one place to go get a vision. Um, I also believe if you have a little bit more money and your C budget, the next place would be to go to some higher level meetings like the American Academy of Restorative Dentistry or the Academy of Operative Dentistry or the American Equilibration Society or the Crown and Bridge Society. Those groups are all made up of really fine dentists, commonly older dentists who love to be around younger dentists who want to share the vision. So that would be the second thing. Obviously, that takes a little bit more effort because you have to find somebody to invite you, or at least you have to make the effort to go if it's not by invitation. And then the third thing would be your work. If you've got more money in your budget, then I think getting a consultant is the next. So I'd say those are the three things. Yeah. Study club number one, um, with very little investment, uh, add meetings, high-end dental meetings, number two. And then third, when you're to the point when you're ready to move on it, to get a really good consultant to help you through the process. Yeah. So when we went into private practice 25 years ago, my wife and I, as a hygienist, it was our practice that we started. <clears throat> and eventually, our lack of leadership, essentially, I'm going to say my lack of leadership, because I didn't have those skills, and my lack of systems eventually drove us to get a consultant to come in when we could absolutely not afford it. We literally had to borrow money to get this consultant in, and it was life-changing for us. And it put us on a tra trajectory that we've been on ever since. And my wife is much more conservative than I am when it comes to spending money and being rah-rah. I'm the rah-rah guy. She's more of the thinker of the group. And I know if she were sitting here now, she would absolutely say the money we spent on that consultant early in our years of dental practice was among the most important things that we've ever done. Yeah. And again, it was in a time when we could ill afford to do it, yeah. but we did it anyway and it paid off. Yeah. And you're speaking my jam now because, and speak about the reality of vision. It's not like I completely agree with your treatment plan here. And if you're, and again, I have a special place in my heart, like you do for younger dentists that are on this path. Bill, I got in a study club. It's awesome. I am going in the restorative care. I dig it. So, but like not everybody's on the same boat with me. I'm even starting to doubt myself. You're going to have resistance to what you want. Aren't, are you not? Yeah. You are. And that's where the mentorship part of this comes in. And where do you find a mentor? Well, you find a mentor with a consultant, number one, and number two, at a study club. So I'm circling right back to where I started. And that is, it's really important to have some, if we're talking essentially about younger dentists that have been practicing less than 10 years, I think it's really important to have an older dentist, a mentor that you admire and who you would like to emulate in terms of practice, philosophy, but also personal life and all the other important things and approach them. And I'm telling you, if you're the younger dentist that we're talking to now, you'll be surprised at how open that older dentist that you admire would be. If you're serious, you have to come to the relationship seriously. And if you're looking to learn how to do more comprehensive dentistry, 
then you have to be able to do a diagnostic mounting. Most young dentists don't even know how to do a diagnostic mounting on an articulator. And if you develop a relationship with an older dentist, a mentor, and he or she says, all right, we're going to start at the basics and we're going to start with diagnostic mountings, then you've got to show up. I mean, you have to have good cast. You have to do what the mentor asks you to do. But as long as you're in, as, as long as the mentor knows that you're really in and you're willing to put the work in, I, I've found through the years that these older dentists will go to the mat for a younger dentist if they know the younger dentist is all in. Amen. Amen. They've been in your shoes. They've seen your challenges a million times. And they're like, I've flown through that hurricane. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen on the other side. So, Well, and the other thing is that older dentist, we're going to assume is financially successful. Right. Um, if they've done what they're supposed to do and you admire them, there's a good possibility that by the time they've done what they need to do financially in their lives and they're looking for giving back. And a lot of them want to teach part-time at a school, but it's not convenient. And that's where this mentorship program becomes very rewarding for the older dentist because it fills a need. It fills a void that they have, a desire to give back. The dentistry has really been good to me and I want to give back. And so you're actually in some ways doing the older dentist a favor by approaching them because it's a need that they have that needs to be filled. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Take us to the next step. So obviously when you find the vision, you find a mentor. Now we're going to start stepping into the comprehensive exam and a systematic approach. Yeah, it's, you know, there's nothing unique about what I'm saying. I mean, you've been preaching this for years and so have many other good dentists and consultants, but let's just make an assumption that this young dentist has been practicing eight, nine, 10 years and they're on a treadmill and they're making a good living, not a great living, but a good living, but it's not rewarding to them anymore, except financially. That's the only way. And they know that there's a need there that needs to be filled. And, and oh, and one other group I should have talked about in terms of the vision, and that would be the, the good CE, the good CE venues. So you've got the Panky Institute, you've got the Dawson Institute, you've got Spear Education, you've got COIS. So I just named four amazing places that you can go. Now you got to have a higher budget to access those places. But um, the first place of those that I ever went to, the Panky Institute, and the Panky Institute has been a place through the years where that 10-year-old burned out dentist goes and either gets a vision and changes his or her practice, or they don't continue there. One of those two things happened. Yeah. But my years at the Panky Institute, I saw it over and over again. I saw the 10-year burned out dentist come in and get a vision that the Panky presented because they do such a good job of that. And it literally changed the lives of those dentists. And so let's talk about the 10-year dentist that really wants to change. But you can't kill the goose that laid the golden egg. It's stupid to come in, at least in my opinion, and just one day say, okay, we're, we're off all plans now. We're done. You know, we're, all, we're fee for service this morning. This is Monday. And then you, you completely change the trajectory for practice in one 30-second decision. So it's got to be done in an orderly way. So let's say you're just on a treadmill five days a week, running hard, and it's not rewarding to you anymore. So one way to do it is to pick Wednesday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon as your comprehensive dentistry day or afternoon. And you mark it off and you say to everybody in the office, this afternoon is only going to be for comprehensive dentistry. That means I'm not doing single-tooth dentistry, so what does comprehensive dentistry mean? It means doing comprehensive exams. It means if you don't have that, a quadrant. So if you've got a quadrant of dentistry to do, that counts. Put it in and do one quadrant in the afternoon. That's a good day if you do a quadrant in a day. Yeah. Or if you don't have either of those things going on, then you start paying more attention to the diagnostic part of your practice. And if you don't have anything to do in the laboratory, you can always do podcasts. And I'm talking about dental podcasts. You can always learn. You can do CE. So the point is, is that afternoon is dedicated to comprehensive dentistry. And it's got to be sacrosanct because the lady at the front will start plugging in emergencies there. If you don't tell her, you cannot do this. This has to be the afternoon that in this office, we're going to do comprehensive dentistry. Now, if this turns out like it's supposed to, <clears throat> After a few months, that's going to be busy. 
Comprehensive Tuesday is going to be busy in the afternoon. And then the obvious question is, which afternoon of the week do you like the best? And if Tuesday is the best, Comprehensive Tuesday, then you go from afternoon to all day or two afternoons. And over a period of time, you have the potential to move away from the single tooth fill and bill approach to more comprehensive dentistry. And if you're on a bunch of plans, then obviously you get rid of the plan that reimburses you in the poorest manner. And you have one less of those to deal with because you've got comprehensive Tuesday now. And slowly over time, you move into a more comprehensive type of dental practice. There's many ways to do it. That's one simple way to do it. And it doesn't have to be painful when it's done that way. Yeah. Now you're, you're, you're dropping a magic word in here and it's systematic system, you know, doing the comprehensive exam, picking the days that you want to do it. If you, if you're listening to this and you don't like what's going on, don't just change everything, create a system that starts working for you. And then as you feel better, tweak your system because dentistry is a very mechanical, you know, it's, there's a lot going on and what makes dentists happy is predictability of some level. Like I heard you say in a lecture one time, and I, I, this is, I've, I've got a, one of these days, I'm going to create a whole book of quotes that I have from you and they're fantastic. And one of them was this, I love it. A lot of you sit in your chair on Sunday night. And you say, I love Mondays. I am not one of them. I freaking laughed out loud. Now explain that, what that means to you when you look at your work week. Well, I've heard that. You know, everybody that stands up and speaks isn't always speaking honestly. (laughs) Let's just, let's just put that out there. And through the years, I've heard a number of speakers say, you know, when, when your work becomes your hobby or what is it? When your hobby becomes your work, you never work another day again in your life. And nonsense. From my point of view, from where I'm coming from, that's just a bunch of crap. Right. So I love to fly fish and fly fishing is more fun than dentistry. It always will be more fun than dentistry. So the idea that you make dentistry so much fun that Monday morning is the best time of your life because you've been stuck at home with the kids and the wife and you've just been playing golf on Saturday and Sunday. And now you get to go back to work. For me, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Monday is still the hardest day of the week for me. And sometimes I even question why I'm still doing it. But by the time I get to Tuesday, I'm like all in. I'm enjoying it again. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever my, my week is, I'm all in. Mondays aren't my great day. And so it reflects on me. I mean, yeah. if I were the perfect guy, perfect dentist, then Monday would be just as good as Thursday or Friday, just like Lulu. You know, I get up on, on Monday morning, Lulu goes, hey, hey, dad, good morning. I go, hey, Lulu. She goes, what's for breakfast? And I say, dry food. And she goes, dry food, my favorite. <laughs> and then and then she says, what are we doing today? And I said, you're laying on the couch all day. She goes, oh, that's what I love to do. I love Mondays, all right? But I'm not as good as Lulu. So I don't feel about Mondays the way Lulu does. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, yes, but not Monday. Yeah, that's so awesome. I, I just love how transparent you are in that. And the truth of it is, I mean, sometimes you don't know what's coming in from the weekend. It's not as predictable. Right. So the predictability drops. And so right. you got to find a system and a comprehensive exam and global diagnosis is a system. And so, I, I mean, you're not a you're not a big seller of and promoter of like what you're doing. But I'm just going to tell you guys, you created an, a, a predictable, reliable system called global diagnosis. Give us a just can you give us a little synopsis? And I know we're going to talk about later, but that's what you put in your comprehensive exam, or that's where a lot of it begins. Yeah, so in the comprehensive exam, I'm doing all the things that we all learn at dental school. I'm doing perio charting, I'm charting decay and crack teeth, I'm making a full set of x-rays, I'm doing photographs, I'm doing study casts, not on everybody, but I do study casts on those that give me information I need. I'm not doing a diagnostic mounting as part of my initial exam, that's an additional fee down the road. So my comprehensive exam is the things I just mentioned, and it's also a global diagnosis um, form that I fill out. And global diagnosis is just on top of all of the rest of the regional data that we always have to collect and we learn to collect in dental school. We can't do away with any of that. This is in addition to it. And it's just a systematic approach of looking at that more complex interdisciplinary patient. Um, Jeff Rouse and I created this system over the last 25 years together. And it's our belief that there are four primary global diagnoses that dictate all interdisciplinary treatment planning. And if you understand those global diagnoses, you can do interdisciplinary dentistry because there's only a limited number 
of solutions to any global diagnosis. And the key is, is that once you name it, then you can treatment plan. it. So my way of treatment planning is I gather all the data that we've talked about. <clears throat> I sit down. We never treatment plan a patient the day they're there because I don't have time. I've got to sit down by myself and make first a problem list. I think this is the best way to treatment plan. I sit at my computer with all the things I have that I need in front of me, my photographs, my casts, my x-rays, and I make a problem list of everything. I start with a patient problem because that's most important to them. So I make a list of problems. And once I get all the problems listed, then I start to make my sequential treatment plan. And the good thing about working from a problem list is you can then go back to your problem list and make sure you didn't forget anything. Because almost universally, I will leave things out if I don't have a problem list to work from. I generally make one treatment plan because generally there is one good treatment plan. Not always. Sometimes there'll be a treatment plan with ortho and without ortho. If that's the case, I'm showing the advantages of both. But generally speaking, there's only one good treatment plan. And the reason I do one rather than multiple is because it confuses people. It's hard enough presenting a treatment plan when you've got one treatment plan. It really complicates it when you have to do multiple. So I just don't agree with the concept that a patient needs to hear every treatment option available to him. I've never believed that's the case because most of the treatment options don't make sense for them. So that's how I do treatment plan. I'll make a problem list. I make a sequential treatment plan. And then when I sit down with the patient a week later to go over it, it's on a Word document. And at the top, it's got their name and date. It's got problems and a list of their problems, starting with the ones they gave me, their chief complaints. It then got a sequential treatment plan for most important in order of the way things ought to go. And it's sitting in front of them and it doesn't have any fees associated with it. Because once they start looking at fees, you, you know, they go into temporary insanity and it's all over with. Mm -hmm. If they ask about fees, I say, we'll talk about your investment at the end. I promise before you leave today. However, I want to go through the professional side of this and we'll discuss your investment at the end. Is that okay with you? Mm -hmm. And they'll say yes. And then we go back to the professional side. So that's sort of my way of treatment planning. And then that sort of segues into the next thing that we're going to talk about. And that's the presentation part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, that's an evolution of a long time of learning and lessons in there. Um, and then do you have a specific, I'm just curious, like crazy, like, do you have, do you do this at a particular time of day? I mean, well, some, <clears throat> oh, go ahead. my preference is to do new patients where they never have to wait. We don't do much waiting in our office to start with. We're very good about scheduling such that we're not running late. So I run late very seldom. I do not punish one patient. I do not try to squeeze an extra procedure in to get that extra production and put the next patient late. I just don't do that. But I do prefer to make sure that I'm starting with a new patient on time. So our new patient experience usually begins as my first patient in the morning, first patient in the afternoon. In terms of the case presentation, commonly it's going to be coupled with uh, a prophy. If this patient doesn't have a need for initial periodontal therapy, then we're going to couple the consultation with the Profi appointment so we don't waste their time. However, if they do have periodontal needs, I'm not going to schedule them for anything because I don't want to be blindsided. They need to know that there's a significant fee associated with initial periodontal therapy, and then there's even a more significant fee associated with scaling root planning. So they need to know that before they ever are appointed to do it. Yeah. So we only appoint for the consultation and the profi if it is just a traditional profi. Yeah, and that's there's a point of reason why I asked that question because as you know in dentistry, one of the challenges you have is you get really caught up in the technical dentistry and prioritizing where your energy should be best is really important. So doing it at the beginning of the day when you're fresh, you can connect. Some people think like, I, you know, a, a comprehensive exam, I'll try to squeeze that in somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, no, your hands can only go so far. Your back, your brain can go really far and patients know when you're listening. And so I think one of the turning points for a lot of people is like, everybody's got 24 hours in a day. Everybody gets exhausted at a certain point. Your window shrinks when you age. You can't think all day. You can't prep crowns in the four o'clock in the afternoon. So that's part of a, a little bit of self-awareness to go, hey, listen, my best time 
is really connecting with patients because the dentistry is the easier part. Would you agree? Yo, absolutely. Um, the relationship part is incredibly important. There's no doubt about it. And that's a life work. Yeah. The relationship part is incredibly important. The leadership part in the office is incredibly important. And when I'm talking to young dentists now, I encourage them to make leadership their primary focus ahead of dentistry. Um, because if you don't, if they don't see you as a leader in the office and both when they're, when they, when you know they're watching you or when, when they're with you, but when they're watching you and you're not paying attention to them, they're watching you for sure. And how you manage patients and how you manage staff problems and how you manage all of the crap that comes into our lives. That's the most important thing around a dental practice. So I really think leadership and relationship-based leadership is, is one of the major keys. Now, again, you got to have it on the shelf. And you can't do dentistry if you don't have the skills to do it. But I feel like those things can be taught. Most dentists can learn to do that type of dentistry with the help of mentorship, you know, at these institutes and with a mentor from your study club. But leaders, I don't think, are born. Leaders are created. They, they create themselves. They're not born. And it takes work to become a leader. And I know when I left the dental school after 25 years of academics, I didn't really have those leadership skills that I needed. And it was obvious to me and it was obvious to Brenda and that was one of the things the consultant really helped us with a ton was the leadership skills in the office. Yeah, I love what you're saying. I'm totally picking up what you're putting down. And I, I would also say this, too, and I think you probably agree, is like when you have more than one doctor or one decision maker, that's where you really have to up your game. And it's not really about dynamic leadership. It's about being aligned. You know, I see six doctor practices and they're like, can you just train my 55 member team. And I'm like, you guys can't even agree on like what hours or what you're going to do. There's no way these people are going to get better when you guys can't even agree. Two of you don't even talk anymore. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I completely agree. Yeah. I never had uh, either the luxury or the curse of being in a great big practice. Um, I never had <clears throat> more than one associate or one partner at a time. And for quite a number of years, um, up until recently, I had one partner and we got along very well and it was a really nice relationship, but I was the leader in the, in the office. I was the moral and spiritual leader and I was the one that did the hard stuff. And so somebody has to do it and it worked out well for us because it wasn't his, it, it wasn't his desire to do that. Yeah. Now I don't have any of that. You know, I'm not the leader in the office anymore. Um, my new boss that bought my practice is now a full partner with my old partner. And so they're 50-50 and I'm just an employee. And I have to tell you, it brings me great pleasure. I had no difficulty giving up all of the stuff that goes with being an owner. But I do feel like, you know, the old grandparent watching, the, watching my kids raise theirs. And I see a lot of things I do differently. Yeah. I mean, I just do, but it's not mine anymore. And, um, and so I'm just enjoying the ride. Today. Yeah, that's so cool. Now go back to the, uh, when you're talking to patients and presenting it and you say, we'll get to the investment at the end. Now, yeah. um, a lot of dentists, are you one that talks money? And then what's your philosophy on that? Cause I get this question all the time. Should I talk money? Should somebody else talk? I mean, do you have a, do you have a position on that? Oh, I definitely have a position on it. So there's two types of dentistry I do in my practice. I do what many would call commodity dentistry. <clears throat> and that's three crowns, two MOD composites, a sealant, and bleach. So I'm just selling them eight widgets. You know, I can do it. Somebody down the street can do it. We, anybody can do it. Now, I don't want them to think that, but that's the reality of it. And so in that kind of, when it's that type of treatment plan, I pass it on to Belinda. And Belinda comes in. And I make the pass off to her. She already knows what the treatment plan is because I gave her the Word document earlier, you know, the day before <clears throat> that, that I'm working off of. She made the Eagle Soft treatment plan with the fees associated with it. So she comes in and I make the handoff. And I say, I repeat the treatment plan again, not for her. She knows what it is. I want the patient to hear it one more time. And then I say, so, Mr. Jones, I'm going to pass this off to Belinda. Whatever you and Belinda come up with suits me just fine. 
So I just gave Belinda the power to make all the financial arrangements and I walk out the door. Love it. So when I'm selling commodities or widgets, Belinda tells them about the investment. When it becomes a bigger case, a rehab or a mouthful of veneers and big dentistry, expensive dentistry, then I feel like it's my obligation to present it. And so in that circumstance, it doesn't have, if I'm doing a full mouth rehabilitation, let's say it's going to be 28 units. It does not have tooth number two build up and crown and a feed, tooth number three and so on. It's the treatment plan, one piece of paper. It's on my letterhead and it's got the patient's name and date and it's got the words full mouth rehabilitation. It's got the fee and it's got my signature block and their signature block. That's the treatment plan. That's it. It's got nothing to do about 28 single units. I'm providing a service. I'm rehabilitating a completely broken down mouth. And this is what that service, that's what your investment will be to get this service done. So I'm the one that presents expensive dentistry and she's the one that presents commodity dentistry. I love it. You and I have never talked about that. I love it. I absolutely love it. Anything else you've learned in presenting that's a, a good tip? Well, I think one thing, uh, yeah, I've learned a ton about presenting. One thing, if we're talking about big dentistry, is after you say what the investment is to the patient, then be quiet, shut your mouth. And I tend to like to lean in just a little bit because that lets them know that I'm not ashamed of their investment. And in fact, it's a good deal. That investment's going to turn out to be a good deal for them. So I'm not shrinking back from them as I'm saying it. I'm leaning forward a little and I'm saying your investment's going to be $50,000. And then I don't say another word. And that gives them an opportunity then to process it and decide what they're going to do. Now, we've talked about this in detail, you and I, through the years, and that is, how do you make a case presentation to a patient? And for me, it's based on the personality style. And as you know, and you use it also on occasion, the DISC system, D-I-S-C. And so I've already made a determination of what that patient's personality style is. And based on their personality style from the first appointment, it's going to color the way that I present the treatment plan. For example, the patient is a driver. He's the CEO that's got a Rolex and he's always watching his watch. He just doesn't want to be there. He's got another thing he wants to do. The way to totally kill that case is to start talking a bunch and showing him photographs and diagnostic wax-ups and all this stuff he could care less about. So here's my case presentation. And this is the truth. I love drivers. I, a lot of people don't like them. I love them. Here's my case presentation to a driver. Mr. Jones, your teeth are worn out. You know that. He goes, I know it. You're going to have to have restorations on every tooth. He goes, I know it. I say, it's going to cost $50,000. It's going to take six months. Do you want me to have Belinda give your secretary a call and get it started? He said, yes. (laughs) I push back. I stand up and we walk out the door. So a case presentation to a driver shouldn't take more than a minute. Yeah. Just the opposite on on an analytical, the, the C, the cautious one. You can't commonly get it done in one appointment. They got to go and think about it. They got to see the details and they got to have every, and then they doubt their decision throughout the whole process. So they're the hard ones for me. So depending on who the patient is, I'm going to make a case presentation then based on their personality style. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I love it. So once you've got all these pieces in place, you've got listed number five, create a team. Tell us about that. That's the other hard part. So the hardest part is getting a vision. That's the most important and the hardest part. The second hardest part is creating a team. And depending on what type of dentistry you do, it's going to influence who your team is. So at this point in my career, I am a general dentist. I'm not, no, I'm not. Let me back up. I'm not a general dentist. I'm a restorative dentist. I don't do general dentistry anymore. I hold general dentists in the highest regard. The general dentist that works in small town Texas and takes care of 2,500 people in that town and does everything that they need done, to me, that's the highest calling in dentistry. That's not me. I don't have that skill set anymore. I'm a restorative dentist. So I primarily do restorative dentistry. I do some uh, periodontal surgery, and that's about it. So my team, and also I'm very interested in treatment of the airway patient. So because the rehab patient and the airway patient are the same patient as it turns out. So on my team, I'm, I'm going to have to have 
an endodontist. And I'm going to have to have a surgeon of some type, periodontist neural surgeon, to put in the implants. I'm going to have to have uh, an orthodontist. The most important team member anymore for me today in the adult wear patient is the orthodontist. And that's the hardest one to find. I Tell think us why. Finding that committed orthodontist that loves doing adults and is very good at doing adults is the hard team member to find. I got to have an ENT doctor that's on board with my view of sleep. I've got to have a myofunctional therapist. It just so happens I live with one. Mm-hmm. Brenda now is not just a hygienist, she's a myofunctional therapist. So I'm lucky that way. So I've got to have commonly a pediatric airway physician also. So my team is based on the nature of my practice. And that's what everybody's team is going to be. The more a dentist does on their own, the, the less they need these other team members. But I think it's folly to believe that a general dentist can literally do everything. Yeah. There, it's too complicated and there's too much to do today. It's the very, very unusual dentist that has skills to do it all. And even if they do it all dental-wise, they can't do it all from a medical perspective. So creating the team and communicating with the team and having a way of communicating with the team, I think, is a real difficulty in doing interdisciplinary dentistry. Yeah. Now, I love this because you and I have talked about this before. Go back to what you said. You said the orthodontist is the hardest. Now, every one of them is important. I know your orthodontist. He's amazing. Why is ortho the hardest? All right. So in the old days, I'm talking about 20, 25 years ago, the real key player for me was the periodontist because it was a periodontist that was putting in my implants for me. I put in some, but I was never great at it. So it was a periodontist that was doing all of the functional crown lengthening and all of the mucogingival surgery and putting in the implants for me. The thing about it is, is that most restorative dentists understand what a periodontist can do because they don't do that much. They do it well, but they don't do that much. A periodontist treats disease, they do mucogingival surgery, and they put in implants. That's essentially what a periodontist does. We all understand that, and it's easy to refer to get those three things done. What general dentists don't understand is the power of the orthodontist in treating the adult patient, and actually the teenager also, but I'm primarily um, an adult-type dentist. And I think it's the orthodontist's fault. Absolutely. And you can quote me on that. It's their fault for not educating general dentists on what they have to offer. Because in this day and time, what the orthodontist has to offer me and this and these wear patients um, is, is amazing. Because the wear patients are commonly wear patients because they got airway problems. And a primary reason they have airway problems is because they've got transverse discrepancies. They got restricted upper and lower jaws. They don't have enough tongue space. Now, they may have many other things going on, but their mouths are too small. And so what do we do? You know, we send them to the ENT and they cut a piece of their tongue out. Or we just increase the vertical dimension and do 28 units on small arches. They still have the same airway problem. So today, the orthodontist, regardless of whether it's a teenager or an adult, has these amazing strategies to take care of this transverse discrepancy and move arches, not not necessarily with orthodontic surgery, that's one way, but it can be done with skeletal anchorage and with surgically facilitated orthodontic treatment. So there's a whole new world out there that's happened literally in the last 10 years that has transformed the way I practice my more comprehensive restorative dentistry. And it's primarily because of what the orthodontist can provide for me. Yeah, love it. I got to ask you this because I have so many questions. Dr. Robbins, I totally get it, but it's not that easy. I'm in a town where I can't find people. I mean, I, you know, I can't find another, you know, oral surgeon or a periodontist that even understands what I'm talking about or an ENT. Like, what do you say to them? I, I say, I totally understand your problem and you're screwed. And, and that's, <laughs> really? And that's, yes, that's really the truth. Really? If you live in a small town and the nearest orthodontist is 75 miles away and they only treat children, then you've got no recourse. You cannot do routine adult ortho restorative if you don't have an orthodontist that you can depend on. Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, that leaves you two options. You can either move, well, three options. You can move to a place that has that, number one. Number two, you can try to grow one, and that's legitimate. 
because like my orthodontist that, that we laugh about, his name is Tito Norris. He's an amazing orthodontist. He teaches a course and his office twice a year to orthodontists on how to do this what we're talking about. So if somebody's listening to this and they want, they've got a great orthodontist that they love working with a great attitude, but they don't really do or understand um, treating the adult patient the way in a depth we're talking about here, then there's one place you can go. You can Google Robert Tito Norris, and you can see that he teaches a course in the spring and the fall in his office. And it's how orthodontists can do this more interdisciplinary adult orthodontics. So you can either move, you can grow one, or you can learn to do it yourself. The problem is, is that doing this type of orthodontics is difficult. And it's not to say that a general dentist can't learn to do it, but it's going to take a real commitment to do it. So I totally understand when a dentist says to me, I wish I could do what you're doing, but I, I live in a town that doesn't have, that, that doesn't give me the opportunity to do that kind of dentistry. I have a very good friend who is a general dentist of the highest regard. I mean, he's an amazing general dentist. I would go to him in a heartbeat. And he lives in a small ski town in Colorado. And he moved from Denver to this small ski town because of his two boys. And he made that decision. He and his wife made that decision more than 20 years ago. And he gave up the ability to do ortho restorative dentistry because he can't do it. It's impossible where he is. But one of his sons is on the U.S. Olympic combined Nordic combined team right now. And he believes that the decision was worth it. So he still does amazing restorative dentistry, but he doesn't have the same ortho support that I have. Yeah. He was willing to give that up for the other great things about living in the small ski town. So I think it's totally legitimate to say, if you don't have an orthodontist within range of you, it will absolutely limit what you can do in terms of this interdisciplinary dentistry that I'm proposing. Yeah, very well said. And I, we'll put links, if you're listening right now on the podcast, we're going to put links to Tito Norris's course because it is fabulous. And he is an unbelievable guy, probably one of the best thinkers I've ever known. I told you, I want to come back in my next life as you and my next life after that, Tito. Um, and I agree. And the cool thing about Tito is, is that um, he, when he teaches this course, he gives a dose of the behavioral side too. He talks about the fact that he works three weeks out of four every month. And he talks about how he does that. And he, but he also talks about the technical aspects because he does all this himself. He does all of this sophisticated ortho, putting in um, MSE appliances and things like that. He does all that himself. So when I'm lecturing study clubs, orthodontists do not have any interest in what I'm saying, at least from learning from me, from a technical point of view, because I can't teach them. It's not my skill set. But I can direct them to a place. And I don't know that many places that an orthodontist can go and in a fairly short period of time, get the inspiration that they're going to get from Tito. So it's at least, I'm sure there's other places. I just don't know of them. This is one place you can go. Yeah. He's just, he just doesn't think like anybody else. It's so refreshing. Like I, I could go on and on and on, but like I asked him like, how do you have this treatment quarter? Where'd you find her? And he's like, not in dentistry in a jewelry store. I'm like, that's crazy. Like he, he likes people that think yes. differently and better. It's so cool. And so, the reason he can do all this is because of his systems. Yeah. I've never seen anybody, any dental office that is more systematically driven than his practice. Um, he's got redundancies everywhere. His goal is, is that he has several people that can do every job in the office. And so, um, he ha that's how he can leave, you know, yeah. one, one week a month and go do other things that he wants to do. So yeah, he's yeah. an amazing guy. Amazing. Amazing. Now talk about the skills, you know, you, you talk about the residency, although a difficult decision for most practice, it's actually a good one. So what about the skills side of things? Yeah. So that was the sixth thing I had on my list and that's the skill set. And I've talked about the importance of leadership and the behavioral aspects and communication, but you gotta have the skills too. And there are a number of places, and I've already named them. Um, there's Coys in Seattle, an amazing place to go learn. There's the Spear Center, Spear Education in Scottsdale, another amazing place. The Dawson Group and the Panky Group. So those are four really good ones that come to mind, and you couldn't go wrong at any four of those. 
I am definitely a believer in doing at least a one-year AGD or GPO, GPR program after a young dentist graduation from dental school. I absolutely believe that's the best thing a person can do if they're not going into a specialty. However, once you've been out of school for a number of years and you're in a practice situation, it may be difficult, if not impossible, to do that. But we do have young dentists every year in our program here at the dental school that come back and they've been in practice for a few years and they realize they don't have the skill set they want and they take a hiatus from practice and they come back and do one or two years in the AGD program. So it doesn't mean it can't be done. And it actually makes, in my opinion, that person very desirable. So they may have reticence to apply because they weren't high in their class. Let's say they're in the bottom third of their class and they go, God, I could never get in. Let me tell you, if you've been in private practice for a number of years and you say, I want to come back and do a program, you move really high up on my list, regardless of what your grades were in dental school, because I see a commitment there that may not be in that young dentist that's number one in his class, but he doesn't know any different. So he's just going to go do a program. Yeah. If you've been out for a, three or four years and you come back to do a program, I've got a great deal of respect for that. Yeah, absolutely. And the bigger piece of this too, that I've watched with you, you never stop learning. I've been in, I've been with you and you're like, this is good stuff. And I, my first thought is you've seen everything there is to see, but you, you're a sponge when we go to these meetings. Oh yeah. In fact, I was at a meeting in Chicago on the Restorative Academy back in um, February. And yesterday I just got the thumb drive of the program. In other words, they, they videoed all of the presentations and I can't wait to look at a couple of them. One of them was amazing and eye-opening. It was a periodontist from um, Seattle, Jim Janikowski. And he gave this amazing presentation on what we can do with roots. Traditionally, we just root bank it. You know, if a tooth fails, you could just cut it off the gum line and cover it up and root bank it. There's a bunch of other ways to manage that root that can be very helpful long-term to the patient. And some of it was brand new information to me. I had never seen or even thought about it. So I've been doing this 50 years and I'm sitting there watching this amazing periodontist talk about 10 year results on some things that were so radical, I'd never even heard of them before. So you're right. I mean, it never ends. The learning cycle never ends. And that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're, you're just an amazing human being. Great teacher, great friend, great mentor, great everything. I want you to talk about GDE because this has been like your life, you know, legacy and helping dentists have a predictable system. It started with you and Jeff Rouse. Now you and Jim Otten have taken it to a whole nother level. I want you to talk about the mentorship part of it, your courses, your platform, like how do I find out more and what is it? All right. Well, thanks for asking. So, um, as probably many people that are listening to this, they know you because they're listening to this podcast. They know that you put together this COVID relief um, program that went about 10 weeks during the darkest hours two years ago. And you get all the credit for that. It was an amazing program. And I think it touched people all over the world. But towards the end of that, you had given me a face that um, and, and exposure to people that didn't know who I was because I was involved in it most days. And towards the end of that, and you gave me the opportunity to give several lectures. And so towards the end of that, um, I developed some people that had an interest in what I was teaching. And so I called up my very good friend, Jim Otten, who's an amazing dentist in Lawrence, Kansas, because we'd been talking about doing something together for the last three years before the COVID deal. And I said, I think Jim, now's the time. So in a pretty short period of time, we created uh, an online study club that's called Global Diagnosis Education. And so it's been going almost two years now. It'll be two years in June. And we have over 100 members. And we meet Wednesday evenings um, from 8 to 10 Eastern time. Although our goal is to be done by, by in an hour and 45 minutes. So our goal is to be an hour and 45 minutes, no more, three Wednesday nights a month out of the, or three Wednesday nights out of a month. So we take one week off every month. And it's essentially a study club to foster interdisciplinary treatment planning, comprehensive dentistry. That's, that's what both of us are committed to, and that's what we teach. And the, the great thing about our partnership is that, first of all, we got a great affection for each other. We've been, we've been friends for quite a number of years. 
And so we just enjoy being together. But the other great thing about our partnership in the study club is that we bring different skill sets to the table. My skill set has been doing and teaching interdisciplinary dentistry. And since I've been teaching all these years, I've done a lot of of cases. And so I have a lot of material in teaching interdisciplinary dentistry. Jim's really great skill set is not mine at all. And that is he's developed over the last 30 years a great interest in treating the patient with significant joint problems and everything related to joint problems. And so he brings an amazing wealth of knowledge to the table. So he's a general dentist and he does interdisciplinary dentistry. And I'm a general dentist and I treat some joint patients, but I don't have anywhere near the skill set that he does. And so when we're talking about complicated patients, he can talk about one end of the patient, the joint end, and I talk about the other end. And that's been the real, I think, the, the synergy of our different skill sets has been the real beauty of this. And so we don't have a great number of people. Generally, no more than 50 people show up at any given evening live. And we video all of the, we record all of the lectures. And so they're available in our library. So the members that can't show up on Wednesday night can come anytime they want, go to the library and listen to the lecture. But um, there is a mentorship program that goes on. We have mentors that are some very skilled dentists on our platform that have agreed to be mentors. We've got eight of them. And so each member has, each regular GDE member has a mentor that they can call upon and they can also call upon Jim and I. And Jim and I do a lot of mentorship privately with the group also, because they've got our telephones and our emails. And so the goal is interdisciplinary treatment planning, everything associated with that. And we do a lot of treatment planning and we're finally to the point where our members are presenting lots of treatment plans. Now we have a template that's very easy set up to use, to make a presentation. All you have to drag and drop photos into it and answer some questions. And so now it's less about me and Jim giving lectures and it's more about interdisciplinary treatment planning and participation among the, the members of the platform. Yeah. It's been the most rewarding educational experience of my life, I would say, because we've seen dramatic changes and those that are serious about coming and being a part of it, we've seen amazing growth and what they do, what they want to do, their ability to talk about interdisciplinary dentistry. And now they're starting to show the interdisciplinary dentistry they're, they're doing to the rest of the members on the platform. So it's very rewarding to see a dentist say, this is what I want to do. And then they go and do it. Yeah. I'm so happy for you and I'm so happy for Jim and I'm really happy for these people that are involved because you're changing their lives too. And so if you're a dentist, that's like, oh my gosh, I, I want to, don't even think about it, just do it. So again, we'll put the links in there and check it out and you'll be surrounded by some amazing people. And remember, we're all the average of the five people we hang around with most. Hanging around with Bill and Jim, I just feel smarter. I don't even know what they're talking about half the time, but I feel better and I feel smarter. You know, you've so. never been at a loss for words, my friend. So I'm going to take a little <laughs> bit of an exception to that. <laughs> uh, I just feel blessed. Uh, I didn't know. I don't even know how I got in this great industry, but uh, you'll see. Dentistry is an incredibly noble profession, and you would say this to your kids if you're raising kids: just start hanging around with the right people, and they open doors for you, help you see things, they make you better by osmosis. You feel better just being around them. And that is what you do for me, my friend. But you so. said you don't really know how you got into this business. And that's not true. You do know how you got into this business. And it was because of mentors like Pete Dawson. It was. I mean, it was some people early on that touched you in a way that you couldn't walk away from. Totally and that's agree. what mentorship is about. That's just what it's about. Totally agree. It was a values thing. And and you're exactly right. I, you know, getting into dentistry was kind of a little bit of an accident, but the first time I heard Pete, it was a values thing. I mean, it moved me. I felt like that was my dad talking. Like he, he was talking about values and val and I was emotionally moved. And I'm like, I'd never heard a lecture like this. He didn't talk about production. He talked about people. He talked about relationships. He talked about leaving a legacy. I mean, you didn't hear that in dental lectures back then, you know, right. or, or anywhere. Right. It was all right. about like other things. And so uh, all of us find our jam or our place or our people. And it's usually a values thing. So, buddy, I'm so grateful. I, I can't thank you enough. And so um, thanks for being on today. 
Oh, it's been my pleasure. You know, how I feel about you. Um, we, our friendship goes back a long time. It's a special friendship and it was made especially stronger during the COVID relief thing that you provided for all of us. And, um, and it opened up this global diagnosis education opportunity. And we'll always be grateful to you for that. Thank you, my friend. Well, the pleasure is all mine and this will go on and on and on. And I have no doubt you're going to be making a bigger impact every month that we do this. So thanks. Thank you. So stick around while I say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show. Hey, if you enjoyed today, which I know you did, do us a favor. Just hit the share button. Share with your friends because we love talking to people just like you. Make sure you check out GDE. If you haven't had Bill Robbins or Jim Martin speak to your study club, what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking? Like, you got to get them out because it'll transform the room. And so keep sending us suggestions for things you guys want to see. So till we see you next time, keep listening or keep watching the best practices show. You guys, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye, everybody. Thanks. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Best Practices Show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching The Best Practices Show. Oh,